special honor and privilege to have a guest speaker today. He's Brother Monty Tuttle, who uh, works with Eastern European Missions. Uh, they work to make sure the gospel gets preached in Eastern Europe. Having made a trip or two to Europe, uh, uh, Christianity sometimes uh, seems to be missing there, but he says he's got really good news for us, so I want to introduce Brother Monty Tuttle. Uh, Brother, come preach a word to us. Good morning. It is really, really good to be with you today. I'm uh, really thankful for this opportunity to share with you. Um, I do have good news. Is there anybody in the room that could use a little good news today? I kind of thought so. Uh, you are truly in the right place. Um, I'm thankful, like I said, for this opportunity, and I want you to know my objective, my objective today is not for you to leave here saying, wow, what a great organization EEM is. Not my objective. My objective is for you to leave here today saying, wow, what a great God we serve. And I truly do pray that is what we accomplish. I want you, and I'm, I'm, I'm here today so that you may know our great God better, that you might love him more, that you might draw nearer to him as a result of us being together. I have two major stories that I want to tell you. Here's the first. You guys have heard um, about the Soviet Union. They, they teach history in the schools here, right? You guys have history? Okay, good. You know all about uh, the Soviet Union, right? That's, uh, that's a few years back. The revolution in 1917, when Lenin, the Bolsheviks, took over. The emergence of communism under Lenin. The, the hammer and the sickle, the flag... And then the rise of Joseph Stalin, atrocities the likes of which we may never fully know. Because of the lack of the freedom of the press, we will probably never know just how many people Stalin murdered. One of those atrocities happened in a region that is now the nation of Ukraine. Russia still today denies that this happened, but even the Chicago American in 1933 published a story, and the evidence is now overwhelming that in 1932, Joseph Stalin, Ukraine, Ukraine was always kind of a burr under the saddle of the Soviet Union and Russia. Still is a little bit today. And Stalin had had enough, so he was going to do something about it. And what he did was, he had all the livestock, planting seed, and food confiscated from farmers and citizens of Ukraine, and all supplies cut off. 
over the next two years, at least six million Ukrainians literally starved to death. Some estimates are closer to seven million, which would actually exceed a very well-known genocide atrocity called the Holocaust, where six million Jews were murdered. The genocide in Ukraine is called the Holodomor. Holocaust, holocaust means execution by fire. Holodomor means execution by starvation. Now I would venture to guess that most of us here never heard of this. Just in the last 10 or 15 years have the details started to emerge. Then you might recall the uh, rather odd alliance between Britain and America and the Soviet Union in defeating the Nazis in World War II, the conference at Yalta. And then after World War II, Stalin decided he needed a buffer zone between Germany and Russia. So he began to expand the rule of the Soviet Union into Eastern Europe, mostly by power, force, violence. Of course, in 1961, the Berlin Wall was built in Germany and became, in a lot of ways, the, the icon of the Cold War, the division between East and West, the Soviets and the West. Okay, why am I giving you a history lesson? I want you to know our great God. So hang in there, okay? During these years, especially from 1917 through 1961, the communists had aggressively and successfully removed the Bible from society. One of the main strategies of Lenin and Stalin's communism was removing the Bible. Bibles were burned, removed, destroyed. And by 1961, the Bible was gone from these cultures. Interestingly, in that same year, 1961, the year the Berlin Wall was built, six couples graduated, and another single guy graduated from Abilene Christian, 1961. And they decided that God was calling them to go get Bibles to those people on the other side of the Iron Curtain. So in 1961, they moved to Vienna, and began um, a Bible smuggling ministry. They started smuggling Bibles across the Iron Curtain. And I wish I had time to tell you some of those stories. These are great pioneers of faith. Brave and a little bit crazy. Some great stories. 
smuggling Bibles, trying to get the Bibles to people that did not have one. Zero. Of course, in 1989, 1990, everything changed. The fall of the Berlin Wall, the, the, the fall of communism, dictatorships overthrown, dictators ousted, freedom proclaimed in all these nations. One of the most notorious dictators of the Soviet bloc of nations was this guy, Nicolae, Nicolae Ceausescu of Romania. Uh, he was the only dictator of the Eastern European bloc of nations in 1990-89 to be executed by his own people. That might give you an idea. All right. There's a reason I'm telling you all this. Okay, just hang in there. It's coming. Now, back in 1989, back in 1990, in that area, everybody in Eastern Europe and Russia thought everything's going to be great now. Yeah. We're, we have freedom. We have democracy. We have free market economies. Everything's going to be great now. Yeah. Well, fast forward 10 or 15 years, everything's not great. 2000, 2000 early 2000s, economies are, are tanked all over Europe and Russia. The atmospheres in most of these countries could best be described with the word depressed. Turns out moving out of oppression and poverty was not as easy as a lot of people thought it would be. Here's an illustration. Uh, of, course, of course, for EEM, not, when everything changed, doors flew open. We were suddenly setting up tables in Red Square in Moscow and handing out Bibles. Meetings in schools and people just begging, knowing that we had Bibles free, begging for Bibles. And we passed out Bibles by the tens of thousands. But then fast forward... 10, 15 years, everything is not great. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is three years ago. This is uh, from the CIA website, by the way. Average monthly income in three different nations. The United States of America, average monthly income, a little over $4,200 a month. In a nation that I think all of us would consider a pretty poor nation, Honduras. Average monthly income, $450. Ukraine, $345. Less than Honduras. So, in Ukraine, in the nation of Ukraine, okay, are you ready for the good news? Get ready. You better hold on to your seat. All right. In 2007, a group of educators led by this man, Dr. Vasil Zhukovsky, got together to discuss the question, what are we missing? What are we missing? We've got freedom. We've got democracy. We have free market economies. What are we missing? The nation's economy is tanked. It's depressed. What are we missing? Their answer they came up with, what we are missing are basic fundamental Christian values, Christian ethics taught 
in the Bible. That's what we're missing. In Ukraine, a former nation of the Soviet Union, their strategy was to introduce a Christian ethics curriculum in the public schools. Dr. Zhukovsky said before this initiative began, he said, we believe that if we could instill Christian values in the public schools, we could change Ukraine in one generation. 2007. The problem was they had no Bibles. They wanted to introduce a curriculum to teach Christian ethics using the Bible, but they had no Bibles. And two, they had no money. So they had a real dilemma. Somehow, I think I know how, they found out about EEM. That's what we do. We get Bibles to those people. And they contacted us and said, can you help us? And so, therefore, since 2008, EEM has been distributing Bibles at their request into public schools in Ukraine so they can teach Christian values in their public schools using the Bible as a textbook. Uh, I told you I had good news. This is in Ukraine. At the end of last year, 2016, we had distributed Bibles into about half of all the public schools in Ukraine. That represents over two and a quarter million Bibles. Still have half to go. We will do two more regions this next year, two more entire regions. Next year, another 350,000 Bibles. So the initiative continues that started in 2008. Would, the question I get asked all the time is, how's that going? 2008, right? Okay, I have an answer to that question. Here's the deal. Like I, like I said, half the, half the regions now have the Bible, half don't. The data is coming in from all over the country. In every region that has the Bibles and they're teaching Christian values, overall academic performance, test scores are up, discipline problems are down. I know, that's a shocker, right? Isn't that awesome, though? There's tangible, measurable data proving the power of the Word of God. What began in the beginning, uh, these, this group of educators came to the Minister of Education and said, we believe that what we're missing in our society is Christian values and Christian ethics taught in the Bible. We need to introduce a curriculum, right? And they presented this to the Minister of Education. The Minister of Education essentially said, okay, whatever. It's going to be an elective, and we don't have any money for Bibles. You have to get the Bibles yourself. They already knew about us, so they said, okay. This course is still an elective. The lowest percentage in any region of students that take the Christian ethics course is 85%. The lowest. The highest is 96 I got to go last year and visit a couple of the schools where we'd previously distributed the Bibles. Both the directors or principals of those schools told us the data that's being sent in is true. We have 90% of our kids that take the elective. I could, and, and both the directors told us, I could tell the difference within a couple of months on our campus. 
the students were happier, their attitudes were lifted, they worked harder, they studied harder. We had less discipline issues. And when the students are working harder and studying harder and they're happier, then the teachers are happier. And when the students and the teachers are happier, then I'm happier. And now the data is coming in from all over the nation in every region that doesn't have the Bibles. Those numbers are opposite. So today, what began as a whatever, you do the Bibles, it's an elective. Today, all the way to the highest levels of the Minister of Education. This is the Minister of Education in the nation of Ukraine, Lilia Harinovich. In a recent interview, she said, EEM is a great partner in our work of changing the moral foundation of our country. Now, when was the last time you had an opportunity to get in on the changing of the moral foundation of an entire country, of the former Soviet Union? Okay. Think for a minute. This nation of Ukraine experienced one of the most brutal genocides in the history of of the world and this is the place where God chooses now to be planting the seed of his word in these people's hearts and souls by the way you remember I told you about that guy Nikolai Ceausescu remember what nation he was dictator of oh you're listening that's awesome (laughs) Romania right Ukraine is now not the only nation where we're distributing Bibles in public schools. Guess which nation was next in line after Ukraine to request Bibles in their public schools? You guys are smart. Is that awesome? Due to a relationship with one of our ministry partners, Ann Boyd, she met this couple, Adolf and Reka. I wish I had time to tell you that whole story. But essentially now, we are heavily involved in distributing Bibles into public schools in Actually, Transylvania. How, how fun is that? And by the way, the distribution arm, the people that are distri- distributing the Bibles, let's just say they don't have a big UPS presence in Transylvania. The people that are distributing the Bibles is the Red Cross. One of my favorite pictures, I saw, I don't have it this morning, is a picture of employees wearing red cross jackets carrying boxes of Bibles down the halls of public schools in Transylvania. How fun is that? Now think for a second. Transylvania is the home of Dracula. You've got to say it like that. And Dracula, you know about him. The Red Cross, one of the reasons it's called the Red, red Cross is because one of the big things they do is people giving blood... I just think it's fun (laughs) that when God decides to get Bibles into Transylvania, I'm going to use the Red Cross. I think he probably called Gabriel and Michael over and said, hey, watch this. And he said, what? what? I'm going to get Bibles in Transylvania using the Red Cross. And they go, nah. And he goes, watch. That's what's happening. We will distribute another 70,000 Bibles into public schools in Transylvania this year. And by the way, that's not the only nation 
There are now three nations this year, 2017, distributing Bibles in public schools in Ukraine, Romania, Croatia. It looks like we'll add a fourth and maybe a fifth, Slovenia and Slovakia in 2018. Does any of this tell you anything about God? His compassion, His heart. Let me remind all of us of something very, very important. God, uh, Jesus, before He ascended to heaven, you remember right before He left, He gave the disciples and us what we now call the what? The Great Commission, right? Go, make disciples of all nations, go into all the world, right? I need you to, I need you to remember something along with me this morning, something very, very important. God Himself is involved in the Great Commission. We don't have to do this alone. Isn't that the last thing that Jesus said? Go make disciples of all nations. And oh, by the way, I'm with you always. God is involved in reaching people. Sometimes us carrying out the Great Commission is really not a whole lot more than God inviting us to get in on what he's doing. And we are honored to be doing that at EM. Okay, I said I had two stories this morning, right? I think that's pretty good. What do you think? I think the second one's better. Here we go. You've heard all about the refugees from the Middle East flooding into, leaving, flooding into Europe. Many of them into our backyard. Many of these people leave their homes because their neighborhoods are war zones and rubble. And they're leaving basically just to not die. They come across Turkey. They're the eastern Mediterranean route. They come to the west coast of Turkey. Many of them pay money to get on a, a, a boat. Some of the boats, uh, rickety wooden boats, some of the boats nothing more than inflatable rubber rafts and tires, risking their lives to cross a piece of the Aegean Sea. Not all of them make it alive. Trying to find freedom, peace. All I can say is, thank God many of these refugees are being greeted on the shores of Greece by Christians with a blanket, bottle of water. Come with us. There's food, shelter, warm, dry clothes, medical attention. Then that continues in Athens where they're ministered to, loved, and served. And many of these refugees, first of all, they're shocked. The, the, and they're going, now, you're Christians, right? Yes. How can you do this? We thought you hated us. We were taught to hate you. How can you do this? And the Christians keep answering. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. And many of these Muslims, then they're touched they're moved, and it causes them to ask the question, okay, can you tell me more about this Jesus? And the Christians did and wanted to tell them more. The problem was they didn't have a Bible to give them in their language. So we at EEM started getting phone calls a little over two years ago. Uh, do you guys have any Bibles in uh, Arabic? Farsi? The Persian language? 
Uh, not yet. So we printed a couple of thousand in both those two languages. And then word got out that EEM was involved in printing Bibles in the languages of the Middle East. And requests started flooding in from all over. Uh, in the last two years, EEM has distributed over 150,000 Bibles into seven nations in two brand new languages for us. Arabic and Farsi. And I want to report to you this morning, Muslims are coming to Christ by the droves. It is happening all over Europe. Okay, the next 48 seconds are free. Okay? Just kidding. I'm not going to charge you for anything, but this next 48 seconds are free. All of these new Christians, you know what they tell us? Muslims are coming to Christ because of love. They're not coming to Christ because somebody out-argued them or out-debated them or showed them the superiority of Christianity over Islam. Muslims are coming to Christ because, thank God, some followers of Jesus got it and came under people and just loved and just served unconditionally. And it shook the ground on which those people were standing. By the way, there's the power to change the world. You think there might be a lesson in there for us, maybe? I don't know. What do you think? Okay. That's the free part. Muslims coming to Christ. I want to tell you the stories of two. You know, I'll be finished. This woman, his name, his name is Bechnuz. She is from Iran, Tehran. She and her uh, wife, uh, she and her husband and her 14-year-old daughter made the trip from Tehran across Iran to the north, across Turkey, got to the west coast of Turkey. We're about to get on one of those rubber inflatable rafts. Her husband was arrested by Turkish police and thrown into jail. She and her 14-year-old daughter got on one of those rubber inflatable rafts to cross a piece of the Aegean Sea to get to Greece. And she said about halfway across, I thought to myself, what have I done? I'm here, it's middle of the night, the wind is howling, the waves are crashing, we're soaking wet. I've, my husband has just been arrested. I'm arrived on a Greek island, I don't know the language, I don't know anybody there, I don't know what's going to happen to me. What have I done? She said, we arrived on the shores. Who was it that greeted us immediately? Christians. And they, 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 had a blanket. They put the blanket around me. She was wearing, um, you see her, second from the left. That is Beth News, the night she was baptized. Wearing the, the hijab. She was wearing that hijab. It was, she was soaked to the bone. She was greeted by Christians that said, come with us. Come on. Come on. There was a tent, medical supplies, medical personnel, people there waiting and then a sweet little Christian lady, about 70 years old, tugged her on the sleeve and said, come with me. Took her to the back. And there on the hangers 
were warm, dry hijabs. She says, I know you're soaking wet and you're cold. Please, here's a, here's a place for you to change. Here's a warm, dry hijab for you. Aren't you glad there's some followers of Jesus out there that understand what in the world's going on? That get it. And don't get caught up and hung up in a bunch of the stuff that we get hung up on. Thank God. And she said, I, I was shocked. I was stunned. But then these people continued. They brought me into Athens. The love continued. Then her husband rejoined them about three months later. He saw this. He became a Christian. She was baptized. He was baptized. A Saul, her 14-year-old daughter, baptized into Christ. All right, real quickly, here's a story. I, I'm, I'm, I, I may go a little over here. Can you hang with me just about six more minutes? Okay, hang with me. Let me tell you her story. She, the night, the night she was baptized, that's what she looked like, right? A year and a half ago, when I went over there, she looked like this. Scarf, covering the head. In August, our executive team went back over there, and, and one of our executive guys, our VP, was, uh, they just arrived at this little the church where there's a refugee church of about 175. And they were greeting everybody and hugs and happiness. And, he, and, and Dirk Smith is his name. Dirk said, somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned, and it was a woman. And I, didn't, I didn't know who it was at first. And I looked at her, and she said, Dirk. And all of a sudden, it hit him. It was Beth News. And she was not wearing a head covering. And she had cut her hair short into a style, and there were colors. <laughs> and Dirk said, Bernouz, wow, I didn't recognize you. I love your hair. And she goes, freedom is a wonderful thing. <laughs> Bernouz told us, she said, I grew up all my life in Tehran. And she said, I looked around all the time and I saw all these things done in the name of Allah. And she said, I was disgusted. And I said to myself, that's not God. That can't be. But who was I going to tell? Who am I going to say that to? We lived our lives in such fear. She said, I came to Greece. And the people that were supposed to be my enemies are loving me and serving me and taking care of me with no thought of anything in return. And I said to myself, that's God. And now I am free to ask free to speak, free to seek, free to choose. And I choose Jesus. Today, today, Beth News, her husband, her daughter, are preparing after two years of immersing themselves in the love of Jesus and the word of God. They're preparing, first of the year, to go back to Tehran and join the underground church movement and share the gospel of Christ with their people. Next guy, the guy in the blue shirt, his name is Masood. Masood is from Afghanistan. He and his wife, two, two children, including his seven-month-old son, made the journey from Afghanistan to Greece. All right, you guys do geography here at school? Find Afghanistan on the map and then find Greece. Uh, it's a long way. <laughs> you got to go across. Afghanistan, Iran, 
Iraq, Syria, Turkey. He and his family made that journey, got to the west coast of Turkey, got on one of those boats, rickety wooden boats. In the middle of the night, wind, waves, crashed into one of the big rocks on the shores of Lesbos. They, all, everyone was thrown into the sea. He lost, he was holding his seven-month-old son in his arms. He was thrown into the sea. He lost grip on his son. He panicked. He surfaced in the water. He looked around. He didn't see his son. He goes under, you know, in the murky water, in the darkness, surfaces again and screams, I've lost my son. I've lost my son. He looks over and he sees his wife and his daughter and they're fine. He goes back under the water and he tells us that when he's under the second time, he was praying. He's praying, God, please, you've come all this way. Please don't take my son. Please, I'll do anything. I'll listen to you. He said, I surfaced. And somebody shouted, look. And on the, what was left of the bow of that wooden boat lay his seven-month-old son. Somebody hollered, look. And he, he swims over and he arrives and he, he grabs his son, of course, soaking wet. And he looks, his son is starting to do, turn blue. It's winter. And he goes through the same process as Bernus. He's going, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't know the language. I don't know anybody. My son is dying. What am I going to do? And he said, I turned around. Guess who was coming toward me? Two Christian nurses. And I said, give me that boy. Give me that boy. And she had a blanket for each of us. They had clothes uh, in their hands, two of them. They started, she took the boy. They had a medical tent complete with heaters, supplies, medical personnel. They took the boy into the tent, uh, took the wet clothes off, put the warm, dry clothes on, rubbing, et cetera, just checking the vitals the whole time. He's, uh, five minutes later, she gives him back to Masood and said, your, your son's fine. And Masood said, suddenly, everything I'd been told my whole life was shattered in a moment. All I'd heard all my life was Christians are morally corrupt, evil, mean-spirited, and they hate you. And suddenly, we came across five Muslim nations, and no one lifted a finger to help us. We arrive on the shores of Greece, and who is it that's ministering to me and taking care of my son? It's Christians. This began a journey for Masood. Today, this week, every Tuesday and Thursday, Masood leads and teaches a Bible study for Farsi-speaking refugees. And every week, there are baptisms, new Christians coming out of his Bible study. Masood is becoming, in some ways, a, an apostle to the Muslims. I wish I had time to tell you the rest of his story. Oh, my goodness. I could go on for days, but you've already figured that out. <laughs> it's hard to shut up when you have good news, right? For 1,400 years, the world of Islam has been essentially unreachable to Christianity. 1,400 years. A Christian movement is defined by church historians as 100 or more churches and 1,000 or more baptisms. In, from, the, from 600 A.D. approximately when Islam started to 1900 A.D., 1300 years, there were two Christian movements. 1300 years. 
in the 20th century, there were 11 movements. You ready? Since 9-11, there have been 69. Think back to September 12th, 2001. Can you think back? What's going through your mind? If I could go back in time and find you and tell you that, what would your response have been? Nah, that's impossible. Funny thing. God does that kind of stuff. If you would have told me when I was growing up, yeah, I'm this old, believe it or not, in the 60s, that I would be involved later in my life with a ministry that's delivering Bibles into public schools at their request in the Soviet Union, I would have told you that's impossible. Funny thing. God does that kind of stuff. And sometimes God invites us to get in on what he's doing. I need you to know this morning, we at EEM are not this smart. <laughs> We're not this good. This is God doing amazing things. And he's invited us and you to get in on it. All I can say is there's a verse, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. God is not just able, he's not just able to do, God is doing. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Amen. How great is our God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, we honor you this morning because you have revealed yourself to us once again. You've shown us a little bit of who you are your compassion, your love for all people, your, your creative genius in finding ways to reach people we thought were unreachable. Thank you. And Father, this morning I thank you for, for open doors and I pray for continued open doors, Father, and that you would give us the courage and the energy and the faith to charge through those doors as long as they're open. And Father, I pray for this church family this morning. My prayer is that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in this place among these people, just like it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to sing a song in just a moment here. Um, if maybe you've come today and you're moved, you're touched like one of these refugees, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to be baptized in his name, let this song be your opportunity to let somebody know about that. If you've come today and you're wrestling and hurting and struggling, just need somebody to pray with you, pray for you, let this song be your opportunity to let somebody know about that. Please, if you have that kind of need, please come as we stand. Sing right now.